0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Tuesday Night Podcast Club. As always, I'm your host Jess, and this week I'm going to be recapping and reviewing Evil Genius with Russell Kane. Genius Podcast is a BBC Sounds original hosted by Russell Kane, UK comedian, actor and writer. He's proudly very Essex and you know what I'm going to say, I love the authentic accents. He's been on loads of panel shows like 8 Out of 10 Cats and celebrity specials of game shows like The Chase and Pointless. He is very funny, I'd say he's primarily known for his stand-up. The show weekly focuses on one infamous person pulled from history. These can range from literal and political royalty, such as Elizabeth I and Che Guevara, all the way to musical and fictional royalty like Prince and James Bond. He takes three friends from the world of acting and comedy and gives each of them an envelope containing a potentially evil or genius fact about the person in question, which they then discuss and after the third and final envelopes being opened, the panel then has to decide if the person is evil or a genius. The episode I'll be recapping this week is all about King of Animation, Walt Disney. The panellists join in Russell, a comedian, Kay Card, Fern Brady and Tiff Stevenson. All have got amazing repertoires of work. If you just Google their names, the results are endless and hilarious. My particular favourites are Kay's episode of Rod Gilbert's Grow Pains, Fern Brady's podcast, which she sadly no longer co-hosts with Alison Spittle. that's called The Wheel of Misfortune, and Tiff's character in the amazing Game Face sitcom written by and starring Roisin Conaty. So, the episode gets off to a start with the host asking who the panellist's favourite Disney villain is, which sent me into an immediate spiral trying to decide who my favourite villain is and how we can possibly like any of the meanies in the Disney universe. Kay is about my age, so of a similar Disney generation, and goes in with Scar. Now, excuse me Kay, he claims this is because his favourite film was and still is The Lion King, which same, who doesn't love The Lion King, but that's all the more reason to hate that nasty pasty Scar. Fane goes with Ursula, which is a good shout. She's evil, but she's also very, oh my God, very cool in her style and attitude. I can relate. And Tiff goes with Snow White's evil stepmom, because she tells us she herself is a stepmom and can relate. Which, as a comedian saying it, it's funny. But also, blink twice if you're not okay, because I don't know if stepmom should be aspiring to be here. I went off forever trying to decide on mine and argued back and forth with my boyfriend for hours, who he decided my original choice wasn't even Disney, which I wholeheartedly disagree with, since I remember being in like year six or seven, age about 10 or 11, watching the premiere of this film in question, after months of waiting with popcorn and my two besties, on the Disney channel at 7pm on a Friday night, so ha to him, my favourite villain will forever be, Sharpie Evans from High School Musical, because I too simply want fabulous. Um I would say the evil queen from uh from Snow White because I'm a stepmom as well so anything about evil stepmoms I'll I'll take, you know. <laughs> now I am a massive Disney fan as in I love the music, the films and especially the theme parks. However that being said, to be a fan of the work doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a fan of the man. I'm sure we've all heard controversial myths and legends about Walt Disney, from the cardiogenic frozen head to his questionable beliefs. So I'm quickly going to do like a small bio on him and knock some of the more outrageous myths on the head before we get on to envelope number one. Walter Elias Disney was born on the 5th of December 1901 in Chicago to a family of Irish, German, English and Canadian descent. He was one of five children and developed an early interest in art, specifically drawing, practising by copying the cartoons from his father's newspapers. In 1917, after a few family moves, he ended up back in Chicago and the cartoonist of his high school newspaper, before dropping out in 1918 in an attempt to join the US Army in World War I, but was rejected for being too young. Later the same year, he managed to join the Red Cross and was sent out to France as an ambulance driver. In 1921, now back stateside, Disney moved to LA, despite the absence of US cartooning being in New York. And in 1924, Disney Brothers Studios, later to become the Walt Disney Company, was founded. Later in 1928, Mickey Mouse was born, and by 1934, the golden age of animation had begun, with Walt at the helm. Beginning the four year long journey of creating Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which went three times over budget, costing 1.5 million US dollars, which is the equivalent of around 32 million US dollars today. Snow White premiered in December of 1937, to high praise from critics and audiences. The film became the most successful motion picture of 1938, and by May 1939, its total gross of 6.5 million. Made it the most successful sound film made to that date, which today will be a gross of 136 million US dollars. Not bad for a startup. I promise to keep this bio short, and so far it's not short. So, after World War Two, and his political movies featuring none other than Donald Duck in the 1950s, Disney had his heart eye on the prize of a theme park after visiting Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen and being impressed by its cleanliness and layout, which, looking back, having been to a couple of Europe's Savoli gardens, Disney went above and beyond to show them how it was done with Disney World. In November 1966, Disney was diagnosed with lung cancer and was treated with Colbert therapy. On November 30th, he fell unwell and was taken by ambulance from his home to St Joseph's Hospital, where on December 15th, 1966, 10 days after his 65th birthday, he passed away. His remains were cremated two days later and his ashes lay at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California, debunking that age old myth about the cryogenic freezing. Russell tells us a couple of other myths that aren't true or worth talking about as they are just myths. He wasn't a Nazi. He wasn't an FBI spy and nor is he buried beneath any of the rides at Disney World. So, let's get opening them envelopes. The first envelope is opened by Fern Brady and states that he invented an R-form. This is without a doubt true. He revolutionised the future of animated motion picture, the first man to animate in colour, the first to make a full-length animated feature film in Snow White and he won more Academy Awards than anybody else in history, 22 before he died. Kate goes in first on I was parents, never took him to Disneyland, guess he's bitter about that. Now, I was lucky, my mum couldn't really afford, when I was younger, to send me to Disney, plus she hates theme parks anyway. So my nan and granddad paid for me to go with one of my best friends, Steph, and her family, to the parks in Florida when I was 17, And honestly, I loved every second. A family are like a second family to mine since I was so young. So we had so much fun. I know it's a super expensive trip, but it truly is magical. No matter how old you are. And Kay is saying he wants to wait till he has a kid to be able to go. But my advice, meh, go first. Who needs them being too small for the good rides? However... About four years ago I went to Paris with my lovely friend Jane for a pre-Christmas girls trip and this was around the time of the organised marches which often turned into full scale riots by the yellow coats around mainland Europe which usually took place I think exclusively on Fridays or Saturdays which is awfully considerate of them. This meant you were unable to go anywhere in Paris for the first day of our trip. So we went out to Euro Disney for the day and had the best time again. It's literally magic. However, most people who know me know the traumatising events that unfolded during that Disney trip for me. Some people laugh and some people look at me like I've got 10 heads. However, I will tell you the story and add the picture of the event on the Instagram at pod for context of my mid-Disney breakdown for you all to see. So, this story might be really boring, but I'm in Disneyland Paris with my friend Jane. We're having a lovely day and we've just had some lunch outside. There's a queue for a ride. In Disney World, if you don't know, there's like signs above all the rides, entrances, that say the wait time. And this wait time was like 25 minutes. So we thought, might as well get in line. We've got like half the day left. It's a ride that's only a 25-minute wait. So we jumped in line. The queue was quite big and three people were going in at a time. So if you've been to Florida, Disneyland, there's a ride called Space Mountain where it's three people at a time. So I thought, oh, maybe it's kind of like that. So we're in the line. There's loads of adults. There's loads of kids. None are too small. So I'm thinking, okay, it's like a decent ride. We're going through. We get to the front of the line. And me, Jane, and this little, like, six-year-old kid get ushered into this room. So we're standing in the room, no idea what the occasion is, no idea what's going on. Just waiting with my little Disney ears on. And me, I think I had Sleeping Beauty ones with a little crown and a little veil. I was feeling all cute. And next minute, I hear deep breathing and footsteps. Like, <sighs> I am terrified. I am a wimp anyway, so I was like, oh my God, Jesus Christ, pray to the Lord, What is going on? gone? In comes Darth Vader, full get up, looks like the real guy, I pushed the child to him. I don't know what to do, sacrifice the kid, it's not mine. I'm scared as fuck of Darth Vader. Shouldn't have, like, pushed the kid in front of me. Didn't fall, didn't hurt him, just, like, ushered him. He knew what he was queuing up for, I presume, so he wanted to meet Darth Vader. Anyway, story ends with me in a room with Darth Vader being forced to get a photograph and crying. I'll put the picture on the Instagram. It's tragic and pathetic, but it was scary as fuck. And I do not like Darth Vader and I refuse to watch Star Wars now. So now I've finished my tangents on my Disney related trauma. I'll carry on with my recap. Russell tells us then how his dad did take the family on a a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Florida as a child that they'd save for years for. However, they stayed two hours outside of Disney and his dad point-blank refused to go. As he said, it was a rip-off and full of cues. So instead, they spent two weeks on a white sandy beach, which sounds like heaven to me. Except Russell was 12 and spent the entire time sulking in the shade. This comes to a perfect ending of Disney-inspired trauma with Fern's story of how her and her family were robbed at Euro Disney when a man offered to help buy their Metro tickets, taking her dad to the cash point to withdraw €300 Euros and made off with the change when the tickets were like a Euro each. By the time they arrived at Disney, a mum was crying. I imagine her dad was livid and she just remembers Mickey Mouse dancing around while the kids were all miserable. Look, there's no argument or debate to have here on this one. He did invent an R-form, granted, with a lot of help from potentially disgruntled staff, which we'll get into that later. But his name is on the company, and anyone who works for someone else like I do in my day-to-day job, you know that essentially you're working for the owner's success, so we can't blame him for being at the helm. He did invent the company, and he is responsible for the world of animation as it is today.
1: No, yeah, never. <laughs>
0: all the Disney films that I loved were all about women breaking away. Like, Cinderella wanted to... She, she wanted to go on a night out to see some guy. The Little Mermaid wanted to get away from her dad. And Mulan. The Sea Kingdom. I'll not see... What's, what happens Mulan, in that doesn't she... Because she's, like, a woman, but she's not allowed to fight. Oh, yeah, yeah. She... The next envelope is opened by Tiff, and it reads racist and anti-Semite. No good. So I don't think it's a secret that Disney wasn't a wonderful man in his views, and Russell starts with a couple of examples, namely in the original 1933 making of Three Little Pigs, the big bad wolf disguises himself as a Jewish peddler, with a lot of nasty stereotypes, such as a big hook nose. This is later reanimated. Dumbo has a rowdy gang of sassy black crows, and Fantasia has a black centaur slave girl polishing the hooves of the white centers. So let's just start off with unacceptable, unacceptable, unacceptable Disney. Now, people will claim he was a product of his time. However, that's not an acceptable excuse here, As the next film Russell tells us about, I've already researched a lot about. It's a film called Song of the South, which is extremely difficult to find now sort of wiped off the face of the earth per se as it received so much backlash. The reason the excuse of he didn't know any better back then is completely unfounded here as Disney actually sought out outside opinions and advice on the film when it was being made. Despite this it stereotyped black language and made plantation life look idealistic. This is obviously horrendous. He had being warned by the advisor not to have the characters singing and dancing on the plantation as it portrayed a sort of happy-go-lucky atmosphere where they were being enslaved and kept and living in horrific circumstances against the will. Despite this, almost every scene features a musical number, so not a product of his time, ignorant despite advice. Another thing Russell tells us on The Song of the South which I'm just going to say, worst idea ever for a film, Walt. At the premiere, there were many A-listers. However, the star of the movie, James Baskett, couldn't attend as it premiered in Georgia, which at the time was still a segregated state. Well, in America. Kay then points out that if you look at films like The Lion King, where the names were so thoroughly researched to stay in line with the respect of the culture, how did it get there from that? But they point out this was long after Walt Disney's death, so don't suppose he really had much to do with the Lion King. Now, we've already confirmed he wasn't a Nazi himself, but he did in 1938, a month after Kristallnacht, which was an evil programme in Germany that saw the start of the terror against Jewish communities that led to World War II. I don't need to say how horrific it was, we all know that. Walt personally invited Nazi director Lenny Riefenstahl to his studios for a personal tour. So, all in all, your friends kind of reflect you, Walt. So, you may not have been a Nazi personally, but you didn't keep great company. There's a lot of other words Russell mentions Disney was known to have used. I'm not going to repeat them. It's vile language. It doesn't belong anywhere. But it puts Disney, to me and to many others, in a horrific light and when i say many others i mean all the same people in the world so not disassociating with and publicly condemning evil where you're in a position such as disney to me put you in the right category to standing by as an onlooker or turning the other way you're just as bad you're evil It's really weird that they do that because then you look at something like The Lion King where they actually went and researched the names and what they actually meant and they're like proper names, like African names and stuff. For the Long after Walt Disney's death. The third and final envelope is opened by Kay and it reads workers' rights. Russell tells us straight out Disney didn't pay his workers' greats. His top animators did make around $300 a week, which today reflects around six to seven thousand. So, no complaints there. I and most people would love that. They also got luxury rooms to work from, a specialized work gym, just nice benefits basically. Whereas the cell painters, essentially the people who colored in all of the cells for a movie, in which you needed 24 cells per second to create a film like Snow White were predominantly women... ...because that's all we're good for, isn't it, Walt? A bit of colouring in. ...who were, in comparison, only paid $12 a week... ...which reflects us about $250 No-one's saying that's nothing... ...but in comparison, it's a large gap in pay packets. And the cell painter's done an awful lot of work. So, when they were in production of Snow White... ...the workers has done mass amounts of overtimes... ...to have the film made to Walt's perfections... ...for four years on the promise of paid risers and bonuses after the release. We've already discussed how well this film's done. However, he then just sacked all the staff. This is what caused the beginning of the screen cartoonist guild. Much like a union, they operate in many forms with the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild and so on. By the 40s, it was a formally acknowledged guild by all studios other than one, Walt Disney Company. He refused to speak to any reps and he even physically attacked an animator. He essentially was a dictator in his own world and refused to abide by fair working rates or conditions. So F you, Walter. Kay makes the point here of what did Disney actually contribute to making the films? Other than, as Russell points out, he voices Mickey But as Tiff does say... And I mentioned earlier, without him, the platform for the future of animation may not be what it was today if he hadn't have created it. So, I guess he got in there first with the idea. Doesn't matter who done the work. Russell gives us a quote here from Walt, which is, I am not Walt Disney. Walt Disney doesn't smoke. Walt Disney doesn't get angry. Essentially claiming that he's a character of himself. Look, I don't subscribe to this. I'm not going to try to... I'm going to try not to rant, but I can't stand when celebrities put out a persona and then when people pull them about something that they've done in the public eye, they cry, oh, I'm not a role model, I didn't ask to be, so people should just get off me back. Well, when you put yourself in the public eye for all to see and profit off those people that you're portraying your life to, you will become someone's role model, whether you like it or not. So keep it nice or get away. It's also like when people put their arguments all over Facebook and then don't tell you the outcome or post a status like, nosy people, stay out of my business. Now, you put the story out there, I want the end of the book. Now that we yeah <laughs> Guys, I have ranted so much today. So anyway, at the end of every episode, the panel takes a vote each of evil or genius. Obviously this week about Walt Disney. goes first for evil, shit guy, great films. K goes for evil, he only likes the films after he's dead anyway. And Tiff agrees for the third evil. Snow White gave an unrealistic belief of when you're having a shit day, little birds will come and help you. And that's just not true. I have to agree, Disney as a brand has had and continues to have amazing content and experiences that are literally enjoyed, enjoyed worldwide, across generations, and no one is taking that away. But when it comes to the man himself... He just wasn't a great guy. The negatives outweigh the positives and I have to say, evil. So let's wrap up this week's episode with the review. I really, really like this show. I'm going to give it a four for absolutely love. I particularly enjoyed the Notorious B.I.G. episodes too. So I would definitely recommend that one. Next after you listen to the one that was discussed today thank you so much again for listening to the tuesday night podcast club remember to follow me on instagram at tuesday night pod and rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for anything else you can email tuesday night podcast club at gmail.com